for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Hill Recording Podcast, episode 65 of season five, Neil. First uh, episode one of season five, but episode 65. Can you believe it? That's a mouthful there, man. I know. I don't even know if I said that correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. It's crazy to think, uh, you know, it's been that many episodes that long. Pretty nuts. Yeah, I know. Good well, times. We're going to enjoy... Eagle Rare today. We have a Ooh. we have a really uh, really exciting guest. I'm excited to talk to Caitlin Cook. Welcome, Caitlin. You uh, you inspired me for our bourbon choice today. <laughs> <laughs> so Neil, Caitlin mentioned Eagle Rare. Yeah. So you know, I go through phases, and uh, uh, honestly, Eagle Rare was was my drink of choice about two, three years ago. And as we discussed, you know, it's harder to find now, but back then you'd find it everywhere, you know? Oh yeah. It was always available. Yeah. You could get Eagle Rare anytime you wanted. All right. We we all know and have discussed on this podcast, the bourbon market and its niches. I think here's there's plenty of it, but they're like, we need to really make this a commodity. We'll make it rare. We'll make it match the name. So it's a hold back. That's why they're doing it. They're doing it on purpose, man, to match the name Eagle Rare. They're like, okay, <laughs> we'll make it special. If you're gonna call it Eagle Rare, you, you better make it rare. Make it rare. That's my that's my theory. Making it hard to find. No doubt. Well, I just came up with another theory just now. Okay. Because I looked on the back. Oh, that's not a theory. And I saw that it says it still has the age statement on there, aged ten years. Oh. There's so many bourbons taking that age statement off now. There's probably more people that are buying bourbons with the age statement still on there. There you go. Now, why are they taking that that comment off of there? Because they don't want to wait ten years to sell it. Because it's selling. <laughs> <laughs> because it's selling so so quickly now, yeah. so much. You know, they can sell more of their product and not age it as long. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of them that say that used to say like aged eight years that just now have the number eight on them and have taken aged and all that off, but. If you didn't know. Tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. Not this one. 10 years, man. Cheers, Neil. Breakfast bourbon. All right. Cheers, Caitlin. Cheers. Oh, she's got a bourbon of her own. What are you drinking? I'm over here, y'all. I'm over here. You didn't think I did, but I'm over here. 
Oh, yeah, you know it's really funny. I was at um, I was at a bar uh, last night, and uh, I was talking to the bartender about uh, coming on to this podcast today. And I knew that y'all were so uh, such bourbon enthusiasts. And you know, here in Tennessee, you know, they kind of shared that too. We don't not ninety five percent of the world's bourbon is made in Tennessee. <laughs> But, you know, how many times have you asked somebody what their favorite bourbon is? And they're like, oh, yeah, Jack Daniels. Yeah. Oh, I mean, really? And and it's, I will say that had I not, you know, been, I think, lived here and been familiar with that, with this whole, you know, uh, uh, bourbon v. whiskey sort of situation. I mean, I, I got to say, you know, I mean, Jack Daniels is a Tennessee whiskey. And then everyone... Uh, you know, it's popular opinion to think that Jack Daniels is, is, you know, the good old Tennessee whiskey. But what about Nelson Greenbrier? Because mm-hmm. that's a thing, you know, that's um, what is it? They're old number five. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I yeah. Don't know. yeah, they're old number five and Jack is old number seven. And so if you if you start getting into it, there's a lot there's a lot to know about whiskey and bourbon and and all of it. Yeah. Been yeah. around for a long time. Yeah, and there's so many niches. So, Caitlin, why don't you start us off by going back and telling us about your earliest memories of music in childhood and when you realized music was going to be a big part of your life? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I grew up uh, singing, as so many of us do, you know, in church. Um, but I will say when I was 14... I tried out for uh, Buffalo Idol. I'm from Orchard Park, New York, and Buffalo is our closest city. And um, it was the city's version of American Idol at that time, and Kiss FM was behind it. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget going into the first audition. And this, this, it was like five o'clock in the morning at our local mall. And this woman was singing at last. I mean, you would have thought she was at a James, you know distant cousin, but had learned all the tricks, you know, she was, <laughs> she was singing and my mom just looked at me and she was like, okay, great. This will be a learning experience, you know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, anyway, I went on to win the contest like regionally, which is, I still think about it because I don't know how it really happened, but. And how old were you? 14. 14. Right. Big question. Yeah. What did you sing? Alicia Keys Fallen. Oh, oh wow. Great, yeah. great song to sing. Great. That's a great choice. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, you know, they didn't have us sing too many, but there was that one. And then I sang, um, I think Righteous Brothers as well. But um, yeah, so I just won this contest. And the cool thing about it was that they, um, the prize was to open for Gavin DeGraw and Avril Lavigne, who were huge artists at that time. Oh, wow. And so I opened for them at like 14 years old. It was technically like my first show and there were like <laughs> 17,000 people. There. Oh, wow. Are you kidding? Oh, so what, what are your nerves like as a 14 year old? I mean, you mentioned playing at church and stuff. Did that kind of help you get to that point? What in the world? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was, uh, I gotta be honest is that when I was younger, uh, smaller audiences and more intimate settings were more intimidating to me than large audiences. So, um, large audiences were actually exciting for me. So I was just like roaring to go, you know, and, um, my mom's a huge Elvis fan. She'll, she just said, you know, I got on stage and it was like, I was this female Elvis persona and, um, I'll never forget it. It was just such a definitive moment for me where music's concerned. Cause it was like, okay, like if I could do this, like 
I, you know, I would be so happy. So the stage felt good from the start, huh? It did. It did. And then I started doing the smaller shows, you know, with bands around town and I got involved in the local circuit and, uh, and I was awful. I was so <laughs> bad because <laughs> I was just so scared. Like, you know, it's, it's something about smaller settings. You know, you can see people, you mm-hmm. know, you can look in, look at their faces and like, you know, in a big arena like that, you're just seeing lights and, and phones and, you know, all these things. But yeah, so, so that was a really definitive moment for me and kind of what made me want to pursue music, you know, more than just a hobby. All right. So when you're, you go from the the Buffalo Idol thing, and I'm assuming. By the way, we got to throw this out there. Neil won his, our local Idol contest also. Yeah, well. Yes, he did. Hey, Kentucky and Buffalo, it's a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> 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 okay. I certainly didn't get an open for anybody hey. like Gavin DeGraw. Hey, we just got to put that out there. You all, know? Right, all right. Go I, ahead. I want a car. I, I like that. You did win a car, yeah. I'll take it. Um, I wish I could win a new car right now. That'd be cool. What did you sing? Oh, gosh. You sung Superstitious, didn't you? At one point, I sang Superstitious. I think the song Whoa. I sang to get in was um, Ain't No Sunshine. I think I sang yeah. Ain't No Sunshine to get accepted. And then I actually, on the event, sang an original. Oh, you went hard. And okay. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I don't know. That was probably, uh, in hindsight, that may have been nuts, but I did it and it worked. It worked so. out. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your question there, but I wanted to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. So um, did you sing to a track when you did Buffalo Idol? Yeah. Okay. And when you translated to the opening act, was it also tracked or was it live band setting or was it, you know, how did that work out? Same deal? Yeah, they had us use tracks. I don't think they would have trusted us. <laughs> yeah, well, and then, yeah, that's the big thing. Being, you know, 14... Having, yeah. You would need, I would imagine, a ton of rehearsal with the live. It's different when it's not just kind of, you know, something you can do on your own a ton to where you need all these other people. And I just couldn't imagine being a 14-year-old kid. I think you mentioned it was kind of easy and natural for you to jump on stage at that age during that first concert. But I just, it, it's mind-blowing. And I wonder if being young helped a ton in that or if it really kind of what you said, it was your home when you got up there, if age would have been a difference. Because I think sometimes the ignorance yeah. of youth, getting up in that position and feeling the power of that and then knowing that you can do it after that uh, changes your perception of the nerves and all those things. I don't know. You know, I, I have to say that I'm sure it was a combination of that, of course, you know, of all those things. But um, for me, I've, I've always... Uh, I've always done better in in front of bigger audiences. I don't know if it's a, mm. <laughs> if it's like a you know I'm like priming myself for a trajectory or what, mm-hmm. but like you know I because uh, I sing now for the for the Buffalo Bills, um, my hometown team. I sing their anthems every year, and uh, and again that's eighty thousand people. You know, sold out games when they're home games, and I mean I'm not saying that I don't you know prepare that I don't. Um, you know, I, I don't make sure that I have it together, but I, I certainly, uh, I certainly just, I really love those settings. There's such an electricity about it. That's just, 
Yeah, it's exhilarating. It really is. Hmm. And then you'll see me in like, you know, little small rooms and I like, you know, forget the words and stuff. It's really, <laughs> I promise you it happens. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's my problem. I can't remember words to anything. Maybe bigger venues. If I got in a big venue, I'd remember all my words. There you go. <laughs> I had two bills on my fantasy team this year. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I had uh, Josh Allen and Devin Singletary. Oh, you had a good year with Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen is is the the second coming for us back home. Oh, yeah. He's something else. Everybody loves him. I mean, great athlete, great uh, attitude um, and perspective, and uh, we all really like him. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And he seems like he wants to be in Buffalo. That's always nice when you want to be, you know. Well, you know, the weather can be a challenge yeah. when you're playing <laughs> You know, NFL football. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we leave the Buffalo Idol, so going into that contest, were, were you like performing in school or anything? Or did you have any experience performing in front of a crowd? I think at that time I was still in um, like classical and operatic lessons. But oh, I, wow. aside from like just, um, Aside from just school stuff, you know, like musicals and stuff like that. No, I really hadn't had much experience, I got to be honest. Um, and all of that was primarily um, like group settings, you know. So you're classically trained? Yes. Yes, I am. Wow. Thank God somebody was. Somebody led me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I didn't love, but yeah, it made a huge difference for me. And just uh, vocally speaking, you know, Um allowed me to really learn my instrument. And so, you know, when I went on tour and all these things, it's, uh, uh, I know how to manage, you know, my voice, which is a blessing. At what age did you get in? Was that something that was um, driven by school or, or, you know, like you mentioned, uh, musicals? Is that how you got into singing initially? Or was it stuff that you just loved listening to the radio? What was it that drew you into that? Uh, my parents have uh, just such a wide variety of, of music in terms of their musical taste. You know, my mom's a huge Elvis fan, but, you know, they're old school, like Polish Catholic. So they'd have, you know, monks chants, you know, back to back with like Mahalia Jackson, like around the holidays, <laughs> you know, like um, and they, they exposed me to everything from like Muscle Shoals to Motown classics Um and then again, a lot of like the, you know, old traditional, like religious uh, spirituals and hymns, um, they really exposed me to a lot. And the Buffalo music scene is also one of, of that has a lot of soul to it. So um, I, I always really was, I gravitated towards uh, soul music and, and that sort of uh, um, area of music. And I, I really um, just loved it. I just loved it. I just remember being at, you know, going to basketball practice and my mom driving us and, you know, I'd, I'd like put Elvis on and I'd, you know, be, be Elvis. And then my, you know, uh, shooting guard would be the bass player, you know, and then <laughs> our forward in the back would be the drummer. And we just, yeah. And everybody kind of like, you know, humored me, which is really kind. And uh, I just, I loved music from a young age. And I think a lot of that has to do with my, my parents and what they exposed me to. And then, of course, my dad's dad, actually, now that I think about it, um, was in a choir that did five-part harmonies. And they oh, wow. sang for the Pope, you know, back in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah, they sang in Polish and in English and all in five parts. That's so interesting. They, um, That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, and, and, you know, the Pope would come and visit and they 
they would be requested to perform. So yeah, music's in, in my family. Um, and I think that that's kind of how I, I, you know, really gravitated towards it. Mm. So you, you won Buffalo Idol and you started playing in local venues and what was the road that took you to X Factor? Oh my goodness. So I, (laughs) so yeah, Buffalo Idol was 14. I got my first uh, management deal and recording contract when I was 15. Um, And then just started performing out in bands. I would say, you know, doing the five, six nights a week thing. Thank God, because I needed to get it together. Um, Home craft. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, blues bands primarily. Um, And then I was in an awesome original band uh, starting when I was about 18, 17, 18 years old. And um, the guy who was behind it, uh, Jamie Moses, he he ran a local um, newspaper. So he would um, oftentimes, because of his connections and networking, be able to get us on some really awesome shows that came through town. I mean, we opened for everyone that came, came through Buffalo from B-52s to Tears for Fears hmm. to... Grace Potter to Pat Benatar. Um, we opened for a lot of people, um, in that like two to three year time span. And then when I was 21 is when I was on the X factor and I had, I had been trying out for the shows, you know, on and off, I would say from the time I was about 18 till when I made it on X factor, which was, I was 21 and thank goodness for my mother. Cause she was a driving force in, in me really, uh, uh, <laughs> becoming successful there because, you know, when you don't make it on these shows and you're young, it's mm. like the whole world just is crumbling beneath you, you know, <laughs> like you get so close and then it's so far, you know? Um, and you know, thank goodness for my family. They were like, no, like go try again. Like it doesn't mean anything, you know? And then eventually I made it onto the X factor, which was one of my greatest experience I would say ever. Did you expect like the world after that first gig or did you expect to have to really start digging in because you now know that that's absolutely what you want to do for the rest of your life is be a musician, be on stage, play music? You know, I don't think I had any expectations. I just had good people around me that, you know, had done some really great things in their lives, music industry wise, whether that was on the business end or whether they were musicians who toured with the greats, you know, and I just had a lot of really awesome people around me who were, you know, like kind of not telling me what to do, but definitely guiding me, you know? And they were like, okay, well, you got to start playing out, you know, you got to learn on the bandstand. You got to know what it feels like to carry a three hour gig. You know, you got to, and I just, I just did it, I guess. I didn't know that I had any expectations, but I always wanted to get to that level, you know, where I was playing audiences, you know, that were larger audiences. I always wanted to get back there because that's what I just thought, you know, in the natural progression of how things would go that I, that I would end up there. And, um, and yeah, I've been very blessed with the opportunities that I've had. I really, I really do feel blessed. And, and the people that were around me, especially at that time, I think that that's so imperative when you're young, um, to have a lot of guidance and, you know, my parents, God bless them. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, they would be the ones driving me, um, to all these things and picking me up and making sure that I was okay, you know? Um, but they didn't have the industry experience. So to have other people around me who did, um, was, was a huge, was huge, I think for me at that time. So you had this music path, 
Was there a parallel path with athletics that was running the same time or where did that come in? Yeah, (laughs) that was kind of the, I think when I was in high school, you know, and prior to high school, it was, um, essentially, you know, my, my parents kept us very busy, very, very busy. And I played basketball for a very long time. And then when I was in high school, I was going to transition from basketball into something else. And they had started a rugby team up at my, (laughs) at my high school. Uh, one of my friend's father's played in college and traveled with it a little bit. And he was wanted to start rugby like in our area and it's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy, I guess, but you know, my friends were doing it. I was looking for something else to do. And so what, so I got involved in rugby when I was in high school. And I think just because of my background with basketball and, uh, interval training, um, you know, I, I, I really like, I, I was on select side teams. I was traveling. I used to come down to Nashville all the time because it was more of like a central location for these bigger tournaments. So everybody from, you know, Northeast, Southeast, from the West Coast, everybody would meet in Nashville, in Murfreesboro, actually. And they would have these big, like, regional, like, nationwide tournaments. So I've been coming to Nashville for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just thought of that with our conversation. I think that's the place where a lot of young people, probably more so than any other area, that's where you learn how to set goals and do what it takes to reach your goal is in athletics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I I just wonder how much, you know, that of that ability to set a goal, put the practice in and the work in that was needed to reach that goal, carried over on the music side, probably a lot. Oh, certainly. I mean, I think you learn in athletics, you know, try, try again, you know, practice makes perfect. And you learn learn how to lose. Yeah, which is devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you learn how to lose and come back from it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, that devastating feeling, you don't want that. That's why you got to like, okay, do better. Yeah. I mean, like in the, you know, in the music industry, like you get rejected. Like if you're trying you get rejected like a billion times a day in any creative industry. Like, you know, I, um, no matter what it is, it's just, they're tough. They're tough. They're different kind of worlds to be in. And there's no set path, you know, where you can go to college and, you know, get a master's degree and then boom, you're going to be opening for Beyonce in the next year. You know, that's (laughs) not how it works. Um, and there's sometimes it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to it, but if you just keep trying, you know, the door's open. And I guess the parallel with athletics is, you know, just because you fail however many times doesn't mean that you're not going to succeed, you know? Mm. Let's let our listeners listen to a Caitlin Cook song. Yeah. I've got Run to the River ready to go. Do you want to set that up for us? Oh, for sure. Yeah, this (laughs) is uh, Run to the River. It was recorded, my goodness, probably like five years ago now in East Nashville, Tennessee, um, and it was recorded to two inch analog tape. So it's, it's essentially live recording. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Here it is. Run to the river. Stars falling down at the crossroads. 
I love that song. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so gritty. There's a grittiness to that that the like the instrumentation, everything. Yeah, those There's vocals a, and the organ. The B the B three underneath is yeah. that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> that's sync up perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think out so much. We uh, I just fell into the band that that you know backed me on that. Such great players. Um, just such great players. And Nashville is so wonderful to be here, like to see such incredible musicianship. Like the the musicians here are are top notch. You know. The album's titled I Am Caitlin. Is that right? Yeah, it's I Am, and then Caitlin's kind of underneath it. So either one works. Oh, okay. <laughs> I Am. Yeah. So when did you st- start writing, and, and what does you know, that look like for you? Um, we always kind of get fascinated with the writing process because everybody has such a different process. So um, when, when did you start writing? Uh, you know, I mean, I wrote when I was very young. I think that I wrote my first song when I was 12. Wow. And it was you know, very like 90s R&B-esque. Um, <laughs> I'll never <laughs> My best friend of like 26 years, like knows it and can sing it. And she right can't now. sing it, but she can sing that song because <laughs> she remembers like me singing it for her, like in, in like my, at my parents' house when we were kids. And, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> it's hysterical. But yeah, so I, I definitely started like, like amateur, I guess, writing when I was a kid, but I, um, I never really got into it. I got to be honest until I was in my earlier twenties. And then when I moved to Nashville, that's part of the reason why I moved to Nashville was to really start to sort of develop that, that skill set and, uh, and expose myself to people who really knew what they were doing, you know, cause in, in Buffalo, you, you have, you know, um, artists and you have songwriters, but they, it's, there's a, um, there's not as much industry there, I should say, as there is in Nashville. And so like here, you know, people do this for a job, you know, (laughs) it's a normal thing for, for, you know, a a huge, uh, part of a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. a lot of Well, so you, you figured, you know, why dip your toes in it? No dabbling, just dive right in the, you know, hotbed. Uh, of what is songs, you know, music, songwriters, the whole shebang. Yes, yes, and that's what that's what happened, you know. And Nashville is such an incredible place for it um, to do something like that because you never know who you're going to meet, you know, going to the coffee shop or you know just having lunch somewhere, and the people and the writers that I've been I've been blessed to write with. I'm like pretty shocked at, I really, I really like, mm-hmm. it really surprises me sometimes when I think about it, you know, some of my co-writers are, I mean, they write, Kirsty Manna is, is one of my good friends now, but you know, she just humored me, you know, cause we had a mutual friend years back and we got into the same room together. Um, you know, she wrote Austin for, for Blake Shelton. Mm. Like she's, you yeah, know, she's real deal. Also. And, um, yeah. and yeah, I write with her, all the time. And it's, um, so I, I, I guess my whole incentive for, for being here, uh, initially did have to do with songwriting and wanting to surround myself with people who really knew what they were doing so that I could learn from them. When you first moved to Nashville, was that, was that energizing or did it, did it, uh, Scare trigger any self doubt? Yeah. Did it trigger <laughs> self doubt? Or, I mean, you, you jump into a pool of such talent and so much talent how, how does that impact you when you first jump in that environment? Oh my goodness. You know, that's, that is 
that is the crazy thing about it is that, you know, you can go anywhere in this town at any part of the day and hear great voices. I mean, mm-hmm. timeless <laughs> voices. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, uh, but I got to say for me, it was rather encouraging because I, I really, um, I was really just excited, I think, to be here. And I had fallen into a group of people that, you know, did this jam session at what used to be Soulshine Pizza Factory. Uh, it was located in Midtown and it's no longer there anymore. But um, I used to play there every week uh, with the same group of people. And um, Adam Wakefield is is one of the house house band members there. And, you know, he won season or was runner up, I'm sorry, on The Voice, like, you know, three, four years ago. And um, and he's in a bluegrass country outfit now called Texas Hill. They're doing great things. But like, again, all these people get together, you know, once a week playing the corner, corner bar. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Let's listen to, uh, another from I am. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit in my head and then listen to that. Oh, sure. Yeah. So this song I co-wrote um, virtually with uh, a writer up in New Jersey, believe it or not. And I think that's hysterical because you have someone from New Jersey and someone from New York writing what is probably the most country-influenced original song I've ever written. Um, (laughs) um, I met him, his name is uh, Damon Fontana, and I met him through my manager at the time, who was Paula Abdul. And she just loved this guy's writing. And she was like, I wonder if you can, you know, get in with him. And he was so kind to me. And um, we wrote this song like over the computer. And um, this was the end result. In, in my head was the end result. All right. So when, uh, when did you write this? Uh, I think I probably about nine years ago. So this is pre-pandemic where, where the world knows about Zoom and Google Meet. You virtually did it over the internet at that time. Yeah, we. Uh, he was kind of like doing the instrumentation and chord progression for me, and I was writing the lyrics. Whatever software you did that on, if you would have invested a hundred dollars, you'd be a millionaire I right know. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You produced this album yourself, is that correct? I did. It was a learning process. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we'll definitely t- let's listen to this and then talk about that for okay. sure. Yeah, because I also think there were two uh, two different recording places, if I'm correct. So yeah, we'll talk about that too. Yeah. In my head. On his way from Jackson, Mississippi, fleeing from the girl he made his bride. Lord knows the good book couldn't change him Smoking mirrors brought into daylight My daddy told me a long, long while ago Stay away, don't give him any time I am not crying at the altar
like a country Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, there was something about when it goes into the chorus, it brings me, it, it reminds me of some type of Fleetwood Mac stuff. I never would have thought that, but yeah, now that you say I'm it. I'm telling you, man, it hit that chorus. It's like, and I was like, man, that has like that cool vibe to it. Yeah. But it has that country overtone to it, too. I don't know. I, that, that oh, just God me. bless you. Thank you. That's the biggest compliment I've received on it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, great song. The start of that is is country. You're right, especially yeah. from the writing from New Jersey to. New I'm assuming, assuming you were in Nashville, or were you in New York then? I was in New York at that time. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, to write a country <laughs> <laughs> song. But you recorded this album in Nashville or in Muscle Shows or both? Both. Okay. Both. So um, most of those songs are were recorded in Nashville, but there's a track, um, "Welcome Back." that um, became dual purpose. It was uh, a track that was also used for uh, like a fundraising project for uh, wounded veterans. And they wanted to re-record the song and, and they invited me, the people behind the charity invited me down to Muscle Souls. And Mm -hmm. I got to re-record that song with Spooner Oldham, who found Aretha Franklin, her her sound. Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> um, one of the wow. original Swampers, um, and Will McFarlane, who's a well-known, very famous traveling guitarist, um, and, uh, who came down to meet us, uh, this, the day of our recording was Gary Baker, who's an old Buffalo guy whom I've wanted to meet forever. And he wrote, I swear that started out as a country hit and then all for one um, made it an R&B, you know, like, I swear. John John Michael Montgomery started that, didn't he? Was he the original? Yeah. Uh Yes. And he, uh, and Gary Baker's gone on to produce like the Backstreet Boys, you know, like just crazy. And you met him in Muscle Shows, a Buffalo guy? Uh, Yeah, we were emailing back and forth (laughs) and, you know, my old manager put me in touch with him because thought that I could, you know, if he had any songs for me, um, you know, that, that would have been great. And, uh, and so he just popped on, popped on by and like hung out and had lunch with us. And I was like, where am I? Like, what, what worlds, like in what, what, you know, uh, I felt, I felt like I was in the stratosphere. Like, I mean, just how, how many things had come together at the same time was just insane. <laughs> What if he said, hey, I got this song called I Swear You Could Do. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, too. I'll redo that for you. Yeah, man. So are the are the pictures and things on the walls in the Muscle Show Studios, like the Music Hall of Fame? It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, and there's this vibe down there that is so palpable. It's like, there's there's it is a special place. I mean, we all know the history and everything, but... Um, but there's there there's something in the water down there. It's it's there's a special thing that you just feel like when you when you when you get into like Sheffield and then eventually like into the shoals. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy. It was a special. It was a really special moment for me to be down there. Oh man, I could imagine. I could only imagine. Well, I could only imagine. But maybe that's what I should well, you, say. You were joking about. Doing I swear, but uh, Caitlin does have a pretty, uh, pretty popular cover. Yeah, you have my blessing. You have my bu- oh, mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's going on over here, right? What in the world? <laughs> I don't know. It's how did, crazy. How'd that happen? 
Simple Man? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, I got to be honest, you know, I, I did the, I had this experience recording down there, you know, and I started diving into, of course, like the documentary and all this stuff. And I know someone here in Nashville, David Briggs, who was an original Swamper, but he uh, never like, and he's, he's makes like a cameo in the documentary, but he's not like highlighted as one of the original Swampers. And that's because he left Muscle Shoals to go on, on tour with Elvis Presley when he was 16. Jeez. Oh, wow. And this guy lives, you know, 15 minutes in, in Green Hills. Okay. Wow. And like, so it's just so funny because I started really like diving into all of it. And like, I knew people who were actually from there and had experienced that, that era of music and that time. And then, so I was like, I'm like listening to all these songs, you know, like from the stones that had recorded down there, Aretha's stuff that came out of there, Percy Sledge that came out of there. Like I started, re- I mean, all of music that I was familiar with, but I started becoming like more familiar with it. And then I was like, no one has ever done Simple Man ever. Like no female has like touched Simple Man ever. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what is that about? You know? Mm-hmm. And I, of course, I'm familiar, familiar with the Shinedown version. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something different. And I thought, I didn't think much of it. You know, I just wanted to do it. And we got into studio and created this cool version. Again, it was recorded to tape. So it's essentially live. Like there are certainly parts of the song where like, you know, my pitch is questionable and I know it, um, but (laughs) that's how we did it. And so we went with it, but, and you know, chalked it up to emotionality. Um, (laughs) But like, it just blew up the moment COVID hit. Like I, it blew up. Like it went from half a million views, you know, cause the video originally was out there, I think in 2016. Now it's at 2.8 million. Oh wow! <laughs> and I have another song that was around that had the same kind of views on it. That was recorded in 2018, another cover, a uh, Radiohead song. And that's, uh, I think if it's at, it might even be at 7 million right wow. now. What was the cover? What was the song? It happened because of COVID. Wow. Like, what song? Radiohead song. Creep. Oh, okay. Oh, come on, man. That's Which, one of the I mean, best. a lot of people have done, you know? But, um... I haven't seen a lot of females do it, like you said about The Simple Man. I mean, that's not... Kind of what we mentioned about Bourbon. They're, they they create their own lane. I mean, there there are two songs that I've never seen a female do. That is something that, you know, you probably get clicks just for that to go, that's interesting. I want to I want to check that out, and then when it's legit, it's legit. People stick around, then you get seven million views. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, like I, you know, it's so funny because you look back at these things, and like I almost didn't put that creep video out there. You know, I probably didn't like how my hair was done or something. <laughs> like being female, like I probably almost didn't want to put it out for something small like that, and then you know, you put it out there, and you that's that's a beautiful thing about the music industry is that like as long as you're creating. You never know what could happen with something. It's pretty cool that way. I never expected it, I have to say. But Let's that simple man song is is um, I love I love it. Like I, I really do love that song. And so oh, yeah. I, I'm glad it came out the way that it did. Right. Let's right. check it out. Yeah, here it is, simple man. All right. His mama told him. He was young 
said, sit beside me, my only son, and listen closely to what I say. And if you do this, it'll help you some sunny day. Oh, take your time. Don't live too fast. Troubles will come And they will pass You'll find a woman And you'll find love And don't forget that There is a someone up above And be a simple something you love and understand baby be a simple kind of man won't you do this for me son if you can forget your lust yeah that's cool yeah that's yeah. so good it's so good, and it's a, it is a different version. It's a different take, and I, I love it. You can feel the emotion, you know. Yeah, thank you. That was my wife and son's the mother son dance song at his wedding, and his you know everybody loves that song <clears throat> when they first started playing it. You hear the whole wedding, you know, just go ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's such a wonderful like to be used that way. You know, it's is so so nice. I mean, it's. It's crazy, but yeah, I definitely sound like I've been drinking is rare on that. I've <laughs> <laughs> drinking, smoking, all of it. <laughs> hey, sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, works, it works out. Yeah. Luckily. Yeah. Here's my, my question, because I talked to Brad about this yesterday. Um, you know, anytime that you put something on YouTube that's a cover or anything like that, there's a flag. There's, there's a, even when you submit a song to Spotify, you have to uh, say this is a cover. What is the process? Was there a process of getting the rights to release that song or was it just release it? No, no, no. You have to get the licensing for it. You pay for the licensing um, and make sure that, you know, you're, you're checking all the appropriate boxes and, going through the the right channels in order to, before you put it out, you know, you gotta, you gotta have all of that taken care of. And then, uh, with, with YouTube, um, uh, if it's a live performance, um, technically I don't think that you have to do it. Um, I think it helps if you do. Um, but with simple man, I ended up releasing that on Spotify. And if it's a digital streaming thing, you definitely need the licensure behind it. Oh Yeah. Okay. We do a little YouTube series here called One Mic, One, one Song. One hey, man. Sh- one, one shot, shot one, one mic, mic, one song. <laughs> and uh, we've had some issues, like if uh, if an independent artist receive, uh, releases uh, a song through a publisher, that publisher put in, put in a block on our, <laughs> our yeah. video. Yeah. And it, you know, every time you know you 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 appeal it and it comes through, they, they release it. But it's just one of those things, algorithm stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, like it's weird. Even even with YouTube, like they'll like someone will flag like a video, but mm. then 
like YouTube will tell you, yeah, we know that this got flagged, but that doesn't mean you have to take your video down. And I'm like, well, then what does it mean? I don't get it. It <laughs> means it <laughs> means you don't get paid. Yeah, for that it means video. you're demonetized, and they make all your ad yeah. revenue. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Of course, you know. I mean, like because I mean, luckily with with some of the videos on there, you know, we've been compensated, which is so wonderful, and you know, it's yeah. regular, like deservingly so, you know, deservingly yeah. so. Yeah, but um, but you're right. Like it, it sometimes like it's a little vague. You know, you got to <laughs> So, so Caitlin, our <laughs> listeners that want to become uh, Caitlin Cook fans and and follow you more closely, where do they do that? Where can they stream your music? Where can they find you on the socials? Is there a website? Just fill us in on that. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's uh, my website's CaitlinCook dot com. And Caitlin is C-A-I-T-L-I-N. And this is the real exciting part. Cook is K-O-C-H. Um, <laughs> which, you know, everyone just, grandpa just wanted to make that a little harder on everyone else. The, my last name is actually originally Kachaya, which is K-O-C-Z-A-J-A. Well, and so my cool. grandfather shortened it, but didn't do us any favors. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so I have a website, CaitlinCook.com. I'm on... All the things, Instagram, Caitlin Cook Music. I think Facebook's Caitlin Cook Music. Um, and then streaming-wise, I'm on everything from Spotify to Apple iTunes to Apple Music, um, Pandora, um, YouTube Music. Uh, everything's everywhere. Awesome. Well, we're going to go out with uh, your latest release, Where You Began. You want to tell us about that song? Yeah, so Where You Began is written with Alex Haddad of Them Vibes, and he's uh, they're doing really well. They're backing up Maggie Rose, who's oh, wow. an awesome artist here in town. Um, but he's a good friend of mine, and I love writing with him because he's so authentic. Like, he's incapable of writing because, you know, uh, somebody asked him to write an up-tempo song. You know, that's just not his thing. He's going to write something very authentic, and, and he always keeps me keeps me in line when I write with him, uh, from a friend standpoint, um, and from an artist standpoint. So this song is, uh, was written, um, with some heartache, you know, in the mix. Um, but it's also reminiscent of, of going back home, you know, and starting off, you know, where you began and like how life sometimes cyclically brings you back you know, to where you started. And obviously there's some, some lessons to be learned in those, in those moments, but yeah, it's, uh, this is where you began. All right. Well, thanks for spending the hour with us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Yeah. Thank y'all. I really appreciate it. And here it is. Caitlin Cook, where you began.
think it's so cold. 